Truth Espresso, episode 125. Face it, we all would rather sleep in this morning. <sighs> That's why God gave us espresso to kickstart our zombified corpses into hyperdrive. <laughs> And now, giving your mind and soul the morning shot of truth it craves. This is Truth Espresso with Daniel Minnick. Hello, this is your host, Daniel Minnick, and welcome to another episode of Truth Espresso. As I am on vacation right now with family visiting from out of state, this episode will be a rewind of a previous episode, actually an episode from two years ago. This is going to be my interview with Tyler Vela about his conversion from atheism to Christianity. And so I hope you enjoy my dialogue here with Tyler Vela. Well, hello, this is Daniel Minnick on the Truth Espresso podcast, uh, your host as always. And on this episode, I have a very special guest, the second guest ever for Truth Espresso. And we have an interesting topic on this episode for the first time on Truth Espresso. We're actually going to talk about the existence of God. We're going to address arguments against atheism and really how should we as Christians live out our faith and um, really demonstrate to those who would question our faith that God exists and what do we mean by God? Um, Are we just talking about some man in the sky, uh, some general theism or um, a deistic God. But um, for this episode, our special guest is Tyler Vela. Uh, Tyler is a um, philosophy and English graduate from Sonoma State University. He holds a BA in Biblical and Theological Studies from Moody Bible Institute a Master's of Biblical Studies at Reformed Theological Seminary. He is also the author of the book, Measuring McAfee, Why One Atheist's Attempt to Disprove Christianity Misses the Mark, and he runs a podcast called The Freed Thinker Podcast. So, Tyler, thank you for joining us on Truth Espresso. Thank you so much for having me. And and just for, for one point of clarification, I'm working on my master's. I don't have it yet. I, okay. I, I wish you could just grant it to me like that, though. That'd be great. <laughs> yeah, like your uh, university, um, not professor, but yeah, as if I were the, the, the president of the university. But yeah, that would be cool if I can grant the honorary um, doctorate or master's and so on like that. But Or, or just wave the wand and you know, push, me, push my learning through time or something. Let me finish all the coursework. Uh, that'd be great. So Tyler, you, um, I was looking at your bio online and I saw that you said that you were raised an atheist and converted in college. So could you just give me um, a little bit about yourself? Tell us a little bit about yourself and how you became to be a Christian and, and get into apologetics. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I was raised in, uh, in Northern California um, a deep, deep, deep blue part of the, the an already blue state. Um, and I was raised uh, completely non-religious. Um, my uh, mom is a, kind of a, a lover to death, but kind of a new agey uh, ex-hippie and uh, very, very happy about it, but very, you know, very loving. She wasn't like, you know, not like unsupportive of my, uh, my Christian walk. Um, and my, uh, my stepdad is a lapsed Catholic um, uh, they, we never went to church, never talked about it. Uh, I mean, it, I, I was so ignorant of religion. And so like, like a lot of times atheists would be like, Oh, but you were raised in the cultural milieu of Christianity, not in the, in the deep, deep blue that, that I was at. I, I actually remember after becoming a Christian, uh, and hearing the Christmas carols for the first time and thinking, Oh, that, that's what those are about. Uh, I, I, I really had no, uh, no, no real idea, um, of, of a lot of the Christian story growing up. Um, so I, I, about, uh, high school age, 
um, became a pretty, um, uh, uh, I would say an atheist naturalist, um, uh, didn't have, um, uh, you know, I wasn't an, an anti-religious person. I wasn't one of these people, you know, after the rise of the new atheism where I'm running around telling people they're stupid and anti-science and all that kind of stuff. But I just, I, I thought religious people were, you know, that's, that's quaint, but old and not really, you know, relevant anymore. Um, and, and by the time I hit college that had, that had pretty well set in. Uh, and it was actually, uh, in, in kind of ironically enough, I took a, um, I was a philosophy major and I was taking a class in metaphysics and section one of metaphysics was, uh, arguments for the existence of God. And I thought, well, that's interesting. Uh, my professor was an atheist, uh, Dr. Botterell, um, very, very, uh, very good professor actually. And, uh, I remember we were going through, uh, the arguments of the existence of God. We hit the, we hit the moral argument, um, and, uh, and that pretty much, that pretty much sealed it for me. He did, he did a good job uh, presenting it balanced. Um, uh, he, he readily admitted that this was a, a very, one of, you know, one of the stronger arguments and, and, and a hard one to overcome. Um, and, and I, and I quickly started to realize that, um, the, the argument, the moral argument for those who don't know it is, um, that if God didn't exist, objective moral values wouldn't, uh, and duties wouldn't exist. Uh, objective moral values and duties do exist, therefore God exists. It's a classic Modus Tollens argument. Well, um, I started quickly realizing that I I believed the the second premise uh, that objective moral values and duties existed far more than I denied the first one, which is that if God if God did not exist, those those wouldn't exist. And so that was very challenging for me. Um, it, it just became it was it was more obvious to me. Um, that something like uh, uh, raping or molesting or murdering a small child for fun and profit is actually evil and wrong. Um, that that uh, was, was uh, patently obvious to me, um, whereas my denial of God was, was not so obvious. I had to get there through a bunch of other secondary arguments from premises that were, were far less um, far less convincing um, to me. So that really started a, a journey for me. I started looking into different areas. I started um, uh, looking into my worldview at the time was naturalism. I started looking into naturalism and its ability to um, ground some of the, the fundamental features of reality, um, like the objective morality, like something from nothing, like um, the, the, the philosophical distinction of the one and the many. Um, and, so, and so over time, that's something that God used to uh, to pull me away from from atheism slowly into agnosticism and then kind of a, a general theism uh, and and i and I thought it would stop at that point uh, but then as you know as every story goes, there was a girl she invited me to church um, I hated every second of it um, to, to be honest the the first time did not take uh, I did not like church um, uh, I, I, I am, I am still very much an outsider on kind of the, the subculture of Christendom in America. I still, I still feel very weird in, inside of, 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 um, overly evangelical churches. Um, so that, you know, there's, there's still some of that, that hangover. Um, cause I just wasn't raised with, you know, didn't, didn't you learn this song in, in Christian camp? No, I didn't. Uh, so, um, but uh, but after time, after going to a church for a couple of different times, I tried a, a different. They had like a college age service um, that was uh, was uh, not so um, waspy, I suppose, uh, and um, and and heard the gospel message there, and uh, God used that to to call me home, um, and so that is uh, really when uh, when I became a Christian, which is when um, uh, God effectually called me by the gospel. That's a that's a very interesting and rather cool um, uh, autobiography there, Tyler. So it's interesting that um, you were in college and you had an atheist professor um, having you uh, study philosophical arguments, and basically it wasn't his idea to convert you, but you know, because it's interesting, there's some people who would, you know, consider themselves Christians. And sometimes when they first get take a philosophy or science class in college, and then they they find the arguments there that are you know, convincing somehow, and they somehow, you know, become atheists. So it's interesting that under an atheist professor, you as an, a naturalistic atheist, um, 
you know, somehow becoming a Christian by looking really at arguments um, for atheism. So it's, it's pretty interesting how God works in that regard. Yeah. yeah he was, I mean, he was a, he was a great, uh, fantastic professor. I, I mean, really he, he was there to just challenge you to, to know why you believe, to think about things, to examine things. He wasn't antagonistic. I mean, he was very Canadian, so he was also very, you know, very polite about everything. Um, but he, uh, I mean, it, it, so far as, I mean, he wrote, he wrote one of my um, recommendation letters uh, for me to get into Moody Bible Institute. Um, so, I, I mean, I had an atheist professor writing me an academic reference to go to a, you know, a, a conservative evangelical Bible college. So, uh, I mean, he, he, he's a very, very, uh, very good professor, um, but, but, but very challenging. I, mean, I, I would watch him challenge, uh, you know, the Christians in the group just as much as he would challenge the atheists in the group. He was, he was a, a very good, um, very good philosophy professor in that regard. Very Socratic. So he definitely wasn't your Richard Dawkins type atheist. Then. No, no, definitely, definitely not. And, and to be honest, in my experience, most atheistic philosophy professors aren't. Um, I, I mean, I've met a lot of atheistic philosophy professors and they, they, they tend to be far more nuanced and, and well balanced and consistent than um, what you get from the new atheists and the, the online the online infidels and, and, and so forth, which is, which is always funny. I actually got into a big, a big, uh, I don't want to say fight. That's not the right word. Tiff. I don't know. Disagreement with a bunch of atheists in a group where I was trying to help them um, understand a far more robust version of atheism and saying, look, like this is standard fare for, for atheism among atheistic philosophers. I'm actually trying to, to help you guys here. Um, and they were just like, well, you don't get to define things for me. And I'm like, I mean, okay, if you want to keep playing with mud pies in the slums, as Lewis would say, then, then, then go nuts. But I'm actually trying to, to steel man your position uh, and make it stronger for you. Um, but they really didn't like that, that I was a Christian doing that. So Tyler, when, before you uh, became convinced of that in the existence of God, if you don't mind me asking, while you were an atheistic naturalist, uh, what were some of the um, arguments that you held to that um, really convinced you that God did not exist? Um, it's an interesting question, um, I, and, and I can take it two different ways. Um, the, the first one is what what my actual motivations were, were just sinful autonomy and a desire to, to, to self-govern my own life. Um, I mean, that, that really is at the core of, of why, um, why, why I was an unbeliever. Um, as far as the arguments why I would justify it to myself um, and, and to others, uh, I mean, there was some, I, I thought the problem of evil and suffering was, was very strong. Um, you know, if, if, if there is an all loving God, all powerful God, how in the world can there, why, you know, why is there this much evil and suffering? Um, specifically what, what appears to be, uh, or what appeared to me at the time to be a gratuitous suffering, uh, and evil, mm-hmm. um, that, that was a big one. Um, but really I, and, and I, and I point this out to atheists and, and again, I am trying to, I try to tell them like, I'm not, I don't particularly like that I'm making your position stronger, but actually I think one of the strongest arguments for atheism is just kind of a banal, uh, just unconvincedness, just a, um, you know, we don't, it's something kind of like what we get from the new atheists, but, but far less, far more mundane, I should say, um, just a, well, you know, we, we don't believe in a bunch of other mythical things. Um, not to say that therefore theism is false, but just to say, you know, you just, I, in, until you until you convince me, I just don't have a lot of plausible reason to to think that that's the case. Um, so you know that that type of kind of banal skepticism, I think, was was probably one of my bigger uh, reasons for being an atheist uh, in the in kind of the justification sense. Okay, so it's also it's interesting to me that you said that one of the things that you used to justify atheism mm-hmm. when you were a, a naturalistic atheist was. Um, evil and suffering in the world. So basically it had to do with more uh, morality. And then you said that in your philosophy class, you were studying um, basically the moral arguments. So mm-hmm. really the, the question of atheism, it seems like in 
the majority of, of the, the debate has to do with the moral argument. And, you know, do you, do you have a, an idea of why, why you think that is? Um, I, I don't know if that, that's the case for everybody, although I think it probably is the case in, in most instances. It definitely was for me. Um, I think that um, uh, because we are, we are such um, ethical, ethical beings, and I don't mean that in that we always act ethically, but we are, yes. we are driven by, by ethical and, and, and normative values. Uh, I mean, we do it we do it at every point in our life and we do it constantly. It is, it's, it's just an unescapable reality of life. Um, and, and it's, it's very clear, um, throughout the scriptures that, that we want to be, um, that, that part of our sinful autonomy is that we want to be the rule unto ourselves. Um, we, we want to be our own autonomous, um, uh, we want to be our own autonomous king. We want to be our own, um, our own, our own ruler. We don't want anyone else to judge us. We want to be able to judge ourselves. We want to be able to judge others till <laughs> until the cows come home. But we don't want others to judge us. Um, it, it, that 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 overwhelming aspect, I think, of the human experience um, is is just going to make it a focal point for. Um, for how we relate and understand God, whether that's um, uh, in, in a loving sense or, or in a, in a, you know, an atheistic um, uh, sense where we, where we, we, we attempt to flee and reject the existence of God. So would you understand like most, most atheists, um, you know, if the idea of the appeal of rejecting the existence of God really is that kind of, autonomy and trying to find one's own purpose in life what or you know be the kind of the the ruler of your own life like you set the rules for yourself and so on like do, would you understand that you know really the atheistic worldview is kind of like self-contradictory in that uh, one is trying to find so much meaning and purpose when the worldview of the atheist really is that there is no intrinsic meaning or purpose to existence. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that's one of the big problems um, that, that a lot of apologists point out or try to point out to, to atheism, which is that um, really um, uh, existence, our, our, our human existence, our kind of existential experience of, of the world around us is, um, is largely unintelligible on, on naturalism. Um, it, it's, it's bizarre to say that there, that there is no, there's no objective meaning and purpose in the world, but that we can invent our own meaning and purpose. And somehow that becomes an objective meaning and purpose. Uh, I mean, I mean, at, at the end of the day, that's just, that's just a legal fiction. That's just, uh, it, the, the, the ironic thing, I don't know if you've ever, if you've ever heard, heard this, but I, you know, I, I, I said it as an atheist and I heard it a lot growing up, which is that, you know, religion is is wish fulfillment. You, you want there to be an afterlife. You don't want this life to be all there is. You want there to be a meaning and purpose. And so, you, you know, you invent a sky daddy in an afterlife and, and it's mm-hmm. just, it's wish fulfillment. But, but ironic. So we deny that it's wish fulfillment. We genuinely believe that there's an afterlife, right? So, so mm-hmm. if it's wish fulfillment, at least it's unconscious. Um, for the atheist, they admit that it's wish fulfillment. <laughs> they know that there's no meaning and purpose, but they want there to be. And so they're, they're going to wave their, their magic wand and say, well, well, Alakazam, therefore I have meaning and purpose. I know that it's not a real meaning and purpose, but, but I want there to be. And so therefore it's going to be like that. Like, I don't know what's worse, <laughs> like an unintentional wish fulfillment or just you're, you're just in, in, intentional embracing wish fulfillment. Uh, so I, you know, I don't, I don't know why that would be better. <laughs> So basically, it's like with the atheist worldview, like really everything is kind of an illusion because it's like you're trying if you're trying to find meaning and purpose yet, you know, you admit your mind is not, you know, infinite and perfect. It could be flawed. And how can you really trust that your mind is functioning properly? And yet you're trying to use this accident of, uh, you know, random chance against uh what amounts to be stardust and mm-hmm. and you're trying to insist that you know you can actually figure out truth and um really you're you know you're trying to have meaning and purpose you're 
you know, say like an atheist gets involved in some kind of crusade or some kind of uh, march for uh, something, some kind of uh, political endeavor to save the whales or save the planet and so on. But it's re- but you think about like the size of the universe and, you know, how tiny the earth is and how all of this, you know, reality is really just nothing but atoms banging around like mm-hmm. and, and, you know and it's like as a christian i just really have to ask the atheist what what really is the point of that why like why is there why do you want to do anything like that and especially for an atheist it seemed like a waste of time a waste of their precious life uh trying to debate christians as to why there is no god like what's the whole purpose of really being an active atheist? <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, and, and there's, you know, there's, there's another irony there that, you know, they always try to mock the middle. They don't understand medieval theology and cosmology. And so they, you know, they, they, they believe the revisionist history that everyone thought we lived in a flat earth and that the earth was the center of the universe and all that kind of, which is just garbage. It's just historical mm-hmm. nonsense. No one believed that. Uh, but, you know, they'll, they'll do that and they'll say, oh, well, you know, you, you religious people until science came along, you guys thought you were the center of the universe. And then, <laughs> but then their worldview is I'm the center of the universe. I'm the one that decides and makes the purpose. And <laughs> I mean, it's, just, you have all these, you have kind of all these ironies that, that come about um, in, in the atheistic worldview. I mean, which, which shouldn't be surprising. I, I mean, we, we know from, we know from, from, uh, from the Bible, from, from Revelation um, that that idolatry always parrots the truth. We we know that that um, uh, that they're that they're going to attempt to make themselves um, in into something that is that is that is close but distorted enough to be false. Um, I mean that you, they're they're while while denying you know moral objectivity because they want to deny God. Um, I mean, often, uh, you know, the atheists will be some of the most, um, uh, moralistic and I don't mean that they're, they're the most moral people. They are the most ardently legalistic and moralistic, uh, people to, to, you know, to ever haunt the planet. Um, they, they are sometimes the most egregious uh, over, over different, what they perceive as outrages in, in society and, and things like that. I mean, they, mm-hmm. they, they have some of the strongest sense of, uh, of uh, well, that's not fair. That's not just um, that you can imagine. Um, well, I mean, if 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 the worldview is correct, well, that that's just that's just not the case. I mean, we're we're just um, you know we're just molecules crashing into each other, and you have a certain set of molecules, then you you shake up, and there's a chemical reaction that gives your 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 response to something, and I have a different set of uh, you know atoms, and you sh- shake me up, and we're just we're just. <laughs> We're just bags of not so good looking, you know, water. Uh, why, why should we think that one of us killing another one is bad? And, but one of us, you know, helping one of, one of us, uh, uh, you know, across the street is good. Um, we, it, it's just, they're just arbitrary. We just, we just prefer what we just like one more than the other. Some of us do. But some of us don't. I mean, there's there's no there's no reason except for kind of a majority rules imperialism mm-hmm. to say that that one that one is better than another. Um, it, it really is just kind of a a, a nihilistic you know, will to power where it, you know, thankfully the majority in our case right now tends to be benevolent. Um, uh, but if but if that weren't the case, you know, there's there's no reason why you know, if the majority was, was malevolent, why that would be any worse morally speaking, um, than if the majority was, was benevolent. There's, there's no transcendent standard, um, that those, that those are measured against. Yeah, exactly. And I don't know if, have you, Tyler, have you ever like watched some of, uh, James White's debates? Um, but one in particular, um, it was James White debated David Silverman. Um, I, I didn't see it now. Okay, so James White debated uh, David Silverman on the topic of, is the New Testament evil? Now, of course, most atheists will like to go to the Old Testament to try to show how, you know, the God of the Bible is evil, and they'll say, yeah, the New Testament tries to clean him up, but 
David Silverman actually debated the topic is the new the New Testament evil, and he was right. trying to say that the New Testament makes God like really evil. And what's interesting in his opening statement, he uh, yeah made the argument because it, even like just the command to believe, and he was trying to say like you know it's so evil the the idea that if you think something wrong then you know god will judge your thoughts and that's so evil because how can you avoid thinking bad thoughts and you know the whole thing about sending people to hell and how evil that is but then later on in the cross examination uh james white was asking him you know presuppositional questions and eventually it got down to you know questions about adolf hitler and of course with um the kind of the moral relativism coming out eventually the the final question that james white asked david silverman was about like is it really objectively wrong what hitler did and silverman had to say like in my opinion but it's only my opinion and, right you know i'm like shocked by that like he's trying to debate the topic saying the new testament is evil and yet now when you come up with one of the most historical tr atrocities he has to say it's only my opinion that what hitler did was evil like how is he really presenting any kind of consistent argument because james white asked him like according to his worldview how can he even call anything evil right it, it proved itself in the cross examination yeah that's exactly right it, i mean it happens all the time as in, all the time in these discussions uh, just i mean just con just constantly i mean you, you could come up with so many things though you know they'll they'll protest to, to slavery in the bible but then uh, you know, they'll, they'll want to say that, that morality is an objective time, you know, uh, uh, time after time or from culture to culture. And so it's like, okay, well then, you know, why, why do you get to evaluate a, a time in a culture, you know, 3000 years ago, uh, in a completely ancient culture, that's, that's not yours. Um, you know, why are you imperialistically imposing your, you know, subjective, uh, morality up, up, upon that? Um, uh, you know, so it, it just, it just becomes, I mean, it just, it, it just becomes somewhat ironic and arbitrary when you when you start dealing with this this level of kind of online infidel meme driven atheism okay so we just talked about like the moral really the moral argument for the existence of god and how naturalistic atheism can't account for moral objectives so i'm going to go on to uh the topic of scripture as the revelation of the god you know the god who exists and mm -hmm. i'd like to read psalm 14 verse 1 and see if we can ask some relevant questions about it so psalm 14 verse 1 this is the psalmist king david writing he says the fool hath said in his heart there is no god they are corrupt they have done abominable works there is none that doeth good so mm -hmm. david said the fool hath said in his heart there is no god so when I, I was reading this verse recently and i was thinking about some questions like if someone is an atheist how does he address this verse because here is a a, a declarative statement from david saying that the fool has said in his heart there is no god so the question is was king david right or wrong in this statement if king david was right then atheism is wrong if king david was wrong then king david would be a fool because you know it he would be a fool to say that the fool says there is no god if he was wrong about that and there is in fact no god and scripture would be wrong, but then, you know, given if atheism were true, then how can we objectively define what a fool is? <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you're getting you're getting to the the problem of an internal critique on on their worldview, where um, in order for them to to um, to protest against uh, against Christianity, against the God of the Bible, against His Word. Um, they they need to have they need to be able to provide some type of um, 
uh, of rigorous um, uh, standard and foundation for for something like the laws of logic, um, which which they simply don't have on their worldview. Um, it, it's 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 not possible. And and th- th- there's actually some again. I, I keep saying there's there's ironies when you go into their into their position. There's there's all kinds of ironies, um, especially when you're dealing with the online a- atheists, because the online atheists are going to say like, oh well. You know, you, you shouldn't believe things unless there's objective, uh, you know, em- empirical evidence for it. Um, and then you just go back and say, okay, well, you know, wh- what's the objective empirical evidence for that statement? <laughs> um, they don't have one. Uh, so, you know, if you're dealing with someone like that, trying to get them to come up with some type of philosophical, you know, a, a, a transcendent um or I should say transcendental foundation for something like the laws of logic on a naturalistic worldview where they can only believe things that are objective and empirical. Uh, I mean, it's just, uh, so sometimes I, I, I say the fool has said in, his, in, in their heart that the atheist has a good explanation. Um, you know, it's just, it's, it's, it's just, it's not going to, it's not going to come about. They're not going to be able to provide one. Yeah. Cause it's interesting. You just mentioned about like, um, proving the existence of God with empirical evidence and so on. But then it's like that, yeah, say that assumes that we have a rule for evidence that we have standards by which we can evaluate evidence and, uh, you know, and that we have a functioning brain that can somehow uh, actually sense truth and, you know, test truth, evaluate truth, that there is such a thing as a basis of truth to determine, um, you know, the truth of things that evidence actually has meaning that our brains can, can function. Like really, how does the atheist know for, for certain that the human brain is capable of actually evaluating evidence, so to speak, and really determine whether God exists or not? Like, you know, how do we know that, you know, the naturalistic, you know, like evolution has really um, given us the tools to do that? Like, could our our senses be playing tricks on us? Like, how do they know that? And, right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I I usually don't try to push, you know, any worldview for, for certainty. But what you're hitting on is is important because, um you know, when you're doing a critique of another worldview, you can do what's called an internal critique, which is that um, you assume the you you assume that their their position is true, right? You're, you're trying you try not to bring in any outside uh, any outside assumptions or any outside beliefs, and you you try to use um, just the resources that are within their view. And if there's if there's something within their view that creates a contradiction, then they have a defeater for their view from within it. It's a very strong way. Um, to oppose a view. So uh, there's, there's a, there's a, a Protestant philosopher named Alvin Plantinga. Oh, yes. Um, who, who came up with an argument that's, that's the evolutionary argument against naturalism. Mm-hmm. Um, and the argument's brilliant. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, it's, it's basically that um, we have no reason to believe that evolution favors truth over falsity. Um, there, there, there's zero reason to believe that you, you might, you might just assume it. You might think that it's true. We might, we might think that, um, that, that, that truth or truthhood has certain, um, uh, practical outworkings. Um, but, but he points out that, that, um, you might gain more evolutionary benefit, uh, from, from mild delusion than you do from, from accurate, um, uh, an accurate, an accurate, uh, understanding of reality. And and what's funny is, again, another irony, <laughs> is that when you're talking to atheists and they're trying to they're trying to make scientific cases for for whatever their position is, um, and I and I'm rather agnostic when it comes to a lot of this the scientific stuff. I, I you know I'm I I don't get into really the science. I don't get into evolution debates or anything like that. I just I just it's not my field of interest or study. I just don't know enough, so I just stay out of it. Mm-hmm. But when they start getting into these types of conversations and they start, you know, wanting to undermine miracles and they want to start undermining, you know, the historicity of the Bible and they start wanting to do, they start going after, well, your memory is totally unreliable. Um, and they start going, you know, they start going after, well, 
you know, you think that what you see with your eyes is what the actual world is, but your, your brain is actually interpreting a bunch of different information together and it's stitching this thing together. That's, that's kind of like a, it's like a patchwork artistic Picasso type type of rendering of what the real world actually is. So, so you're actually, you know, being deceived in how you, you know, perceive the whole world. And, and the whole time they're going through these types of arguments to try to undermine the Christian claims, I'm just sitting there laughing and I'm like, <laughs> if that's true, and if you're an empiricist such that, 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 that that's all that you have as, as any type of possible justification for your worldview, you know, even if that is true, it doesn't necessarily undermine my view because I could, there's a bunch of rejoiners for that. But if that's true, you just completely handed me all the reasons why empiricism fails as as a means uh, of justification. Um, you know, so so you know, it, it's one of those things where it's basically, if your position is true, then I have every reason to believe that your position is false. Hmm. Um, so you know, it's it, it's just it, it it completely collapses in on itself because it's an incoherent system uh, at its core. It's it's its axioms fight with each other um, such that it, 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 if it's true, it just has to be false. It, it, it cannot possibly be a true system. Yeah. Cause it's, it's interesting with the, the empiricism you mentioned there, like, you know, I hear arguments from atheists, like, you know, mocking things in the Bible, mo- you mentioned miracles, like mocking things like that. Like, uh, Oh, I, you know, you really believe that a snake talked or, you know, or you know, like, Balaam's donkey you really believe that a donkey talked you know how silly you know that you believe the supernatural stuff and miracles but then you know as a Christian when we really think about what they're relying on as a naturalistic evolutionist and their idea of evolution you know it's like I want to ask the question like well according to your worldview like fish evolved into eventually humans and we talk you know like what's the basis in your worldview for why we can talk and why it's so ridiculous to believe that some other creature like you know a donkey or a snake could ever talk like why why can we talk and and why is that so normal and you know why don't why don't we have other creatures that can talk like in why are humans so special and why, why do we rely on something like that as, uh, you know, empirical, uh, you know, testable truth as, as a naturalistic evolution is like, why is, why is that so bizarre for you to believe? <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, and, and they, they could have some responses to that, but, but ultimately, you know, you could, you could even come down to the question of why, why do we even think that, that any of this speech is intelligible. Like why, I mean, we didn't, Adam, Adams don't have what's called the boutness. Um, Adams are, are entirely indifferent to other atoms, right? So, so, so why, why is it that the cluster of atoms that that's in my brain um, uh, can, can somehow convey meaning about this other cluster of atoms out here? Right. Uh, there, there's 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 all of these problems that have to do with aboutness or, or intentionality that, that come from it. But the other, you know, another problem with 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 that type of, you know, objection to, to Balaam's donkey or, or what have you um, is is a lot of times they'll be like, oh, well, that's just silly. You know, scientifically, we know that can't happen. And I just want to say, well, you know, no, scientifically, the only thing we know is that under normative conditions by nat- purely natural processes that can't happen. But no, you know, nobody's claiming that, <laughs> um, you know, if, if, if someone was standing in front of you saying that a donkey was talking, you know, by, by purely normative and natural processes, then yeah, that person's probably a moron. Um, but no one's claiming that <laughs> it's a miracle for a reason. Um, that's because it's not following normative, uh, normative natural processes. Um, that, that, and that's exactly why we know that it's a miracle. In fact, we, if we didn't have these natural, you know, normative processes, we wouldn't be able to identify if anything was a miracle because everything would be random and everything would be all over the place. Um, 
which you know would, would just be so strange um you know you 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 would have to deny causation which they do which is also again I, ironic to avoid you know that that god was the the cause of the creation they'll say okay well then you know it it could you know it could happen without without causation okay great if you've just denied the principle of sufficient reason you've just denied a major axiom of of what makes science intelligible you can't have both um, so, you know, they, they, it's just their, their, their position is so incoherent that the, the it's, it, you know, it, it's, it's kind of a, a cliche, but it, it reminds me of someone that's trying to, you know, constantly put down the bump in the rug and they, they're trying to defend it over here, but it just pops up somewhere else and they have to run over and try to push it down there. And it just pops up. So, like, it's just any, any time they want to defend, uh, uh, you know, their position against our, our, um, objections, or they want to try to object against Christianity, they do it in such a way that if their objection is true, it proves that their, their position is false. Uh, it just, it happens constantly. So Tyler, I want to get into another passage of scripture, which, with, which I'm sure you're familiar and, and get your thoughts on it. Romans chapter one. Yep. Yes. Verses 18. Uh, let's see, say to verse 22, it says, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness, because that, that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God hath showed it unto them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead or divinity, uh, theodotos, so that that they are without excuse, because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. So this this passage is pretty interesting. If this is the word of God, what does that say about, um, really, about the atheists and their thinking? And if it's not the Word of God, then this is ridiculous to say this, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. And and you know this 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 verse actually has a lot of um, you know has has a lot of value for the Christian trying to uh, engage with the unbeliever. Um, you know, I I I point to this passage pretty often. Um, because what will happen is the you know the the unbeliever will be say oh well you know I don't I don't have enough evidence to believe you know it's a, I I'm just I'm just neutral um, right they have this the 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 neutrality myth that well I'm just I'm just here as neutral ground and you just have, you know I'm I'm just a receptacle and you just have to give me evidence for me to believe mm-hmm. and, and I you know I just point out well you know if 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 my position is true um, then then you're you're not actually neutral uh, and and you you have ample evidence. Uh, God, God tells us that that you have plenty of evidence, uh, you know, from from the very creation of his of, of the world, uh, you you have evidence uh, of of the existence of God, His divine nature, His eternal power, His invisible attributes, right? You 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 actually have plenty plenty of evidence to go on. Um, when people start arguing, you know, the kind of um, the 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 supposed problem of divine hiddenness, where mm. you know, if God exists, why is He hidden? I just come and say, well, I just I just disagree with the, with the, with the starting point. I don't think God is hidden. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, th- I think God is, is manifest, uh, to all. Now, does that mean that, that God, you know, all of the specific, you know, Christian theological information is, is, is present? No, but, um, you know, you, you, you might not get, you know, the, the death, burial and resurrection of, uh, of God incarnate, you know, the second person of the Trinity, uh, for our sin by, by looking at the stars. Um, mm-hmm. but there, but there's enough there, um, that that everyone is without excuse um, for for uh, for belief that that God exists, um, and and so we we have we have ample evidence. We we um, uh, I I'm I'm I usually I, I nuance what I say um, when it's when we say that we suppress the truth and unrighteousness. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of times this will come across as oh well you know that God exists. You just don't want it to be true. And so therefore you suppress it. Like it's a, like it's a conscious thing that they do. 
Um, I, I don't think that that is the case. Um, I think that uh, when it says we do, they suppress the truth in unrighteousness, um, that it is actually um, our, our unrighteousness, our, our love of sin, our love for self, um, that, that suppresses um, the truth about God around us. Um, such that we we might not even observe that it's there. It's actually our our unrighteousness uh, is is taking control. Um, so uh, I, I I'm careful to try to say that this, you know these these people they're not being they're not being dishonest when they yes. say they don't believe in God um, or something like that or they don't have evidence. Um, but the the truth uh, has been sub- suppressed. It's been uh, the picture is uh, is uh, you know a force something that's submerging something underwater. Um, so it's so it's no longer apparent or visible. Their their unrighteousness is this weight uh, that pr- that that submerges it below their their level of conscious awareness. I think. Um, so, but uh, but it's simply but but it still doesn't mean that I need to ac- accept their supposition um, that somehow God actually is hidden or that there actually is no evidence that's that it, that is present all around them. Uh, what we need to do is challenge their unrighteousness, mm-hmm. uh, not necessarily try to to you know tickle their intellect and, and, and work on their, on their ground, um, uh, you know, by, by starting by affirming their presuppositions, we, we should not do that. Yeah. So, so the passage does have like the presupposition that everyone knows, um, like it's, it's manifest that God exists in some way, but, you know, just as the Bible says, you know, having con- their conscience seared with a hot iron, you can be self-deceived, you know, like where mm-hmm. there's such a strong, you know, position that God does not exist, that you can lead yourself to believe that in a certain sense, you know, so it's not like some, yeah, like, as you said, they're not being like blatantly dishonest, but there is that manifestation, that awareness. Yes. So, okay. So yeah. I agree. Yeah. 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 And I, and I think that, you know, in everything we were talking about, uh, we, we see these, the, the reason why I kept pointing out to all those, those ironic things, um, about their, their worldview is because, um, they, they continually show, um, that they, that they are made in the image of God. Um, and they continually show that they, that they live in God's creation. It, it's, it's unavoidable. There, there's a reason why when you asked, you know, why, why is morality so central to these questions? Um, well, you know, because we're, we're made in the image of God, we are, we are moral agents that are meant to reflect his goodness and his righteousness. Um, that, that is a fundamental aspect about ourselves. Um, and, and when the atheist um, does that, obviously they do it in a broken way and they do it in a way that doesn't give recognition to their creator. Um, but when it says that, that that which is known about God is evident within them, mm-hmm. um, that that's part of it. That, that Imago Dei, that image of God, the, the, the um, you know the ethical nature, the personal nature, the 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 communal nature. I, I mean, all those all those all those facts, the the ability to, to logic and reason, the ability to relate to creation. I mean, all these all these things, our, our ability to rule over creation. I mean, that was the, the original mandate. Mm-hmm. Um, all of these things are what is known about God, and it's evident in ourselves. Um, we should be able to. Um, the first thing when we look at ourselves is we should be able to understand that we are made in the image of God. And so, and, and because God exists and because God is there. Um, I, I wrote, uh, you know, my, when I was at Moody Bible, my senior thesis was a uh, directed study on uh, Van Til, uh, the, re- mm-hmm. the reformed theologian and philosopher and what's called the noetic effects of sin, right. Or the, or the impacts of sin on the mind um, and how we think. Uh, and, and I, and I argued that the, what, what happened at the fall um, and what sin does, it, it doesn't necessarily make us stupid, right? The, mm-hmm. the fool isn't stupid, yes. right? The, the, fool, the, the fool can be a brilliant person. They're not a stupid person, um, but, they're, but they're unwise um, mm-hmm. because they don't understand um, the most fundamental things about themselves and about reality. And so therefore they make, um, they make, poor, they make poor decisions because they do things in unrighteousness. And so I argued that um, what what sin actually did, what the fall actually did in our minds, was it broke uh, what Buber called the "I thou" distinction, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I argue that before the fall, um, I, I think that we would have done everything with reference to our Creator. Um, we would have understood, you know, if if I'm eating a sandwich, I understand 
that I exist as a, as, as a creature in God's creation. And I'm thankful that he has provided this for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I, and I would have done that and I would have done that, you know, by, by nature. Whereas now we have to constantly remind ourselves to pray for our meals and hope that we remember to pray for our meals. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, because that, because that, that connection, the, the I thou connection, the, the creator creature connection is what is broken. And so we now do things with reference to ourselves rather than with reference to God. And so that's, that's what makes the, that's what makes the fool is that they are trying to, uh, live in God's creation as if it is not God's creation. Hmm. Yes, definitely. Excellent points there, Tyler. And I was, I remember a while ago, I mean, I haven't published it yet. I'm thinking of like recording at some point, but I was writing basically uh, the about the presuppositions of, you know, atheists and mm-hmm. and really the the concept of like well, where's the evidence? So I was like writing basically a narrative explanation for the evidence of creation and like starting off with um, you know us as humans and how we think and and do things and then getting down to like going down to like atoms like starting off like shrinking down looking at cells the complexity of cells and all the way down to atoms and subatomic particles and then and then like, okay, now we got this perspective of how complex things are to ourselves. And then, all right, now let's go back up to us as humans and start to zoom out larger and see how tiny we are on earth and how, um, you know, how tiny the earth is in the solar system, basically zoom out and explain the size of the universe with the billions of galaxies with billions of stars. So basically this, all-encompassing just broad look at all the evidence and complexity uh, of of creation and then so then you know when an atheist asks like where's where's the evidence so then like okay so now do i need to go to the complexity of the eye or now do i need to go to the motor of a cell like what what more evidence do we need like if we talk about the universe in you know the size of the universe and subatomic particles, like how am I going to convince an atheist that God exists if I just have to take another part of that universe and explain the mechanics of that? Like how is that going to count for evidence to convince them? And it seems like there's, there's more to being an atheist than just needing more evidence of something they forgot to mention and how it's composed to convince an atheist. Like there's gotta be something to like, what is it that need that we need to do to convince an atheist that God exists after just showing really the entire makeup of the universe. Right. Yeah. And, and, and this is, this is where, um, you know, in the, in the reform tradition and in uh, what's called presuppositionalism is Mm -hmm. we understand um, our, our job is not to convince them of that. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, when, when we're doing apologetics um, my, 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 my goal is not that I, um, I, you know, I'm so smart and I give such good arguments that that I can convince them um, to believe in God. Right. I mean, there's there, the, the reformed apologetic is so different than, than what you get nowadays. You know, I, I have great respect for people like William Lane Craig and, you know, mm-hmm. don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to, I'm trying, I'm trying to knock them, yes. um, but our, but our approach is, 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 is so very different from theirs because, because we don't think that we're on common ground with the unbeliever. We don't think that we share, um, uh, you know, a neutrality with them such that if we just provided them the right type of evidence um, that they would believe. Um, our, our, that, that's not our responsibility. Van, Van Til, you know, used to talk about, uh, it was, it was a little extreme, but you know, he's talking about, you know, dropping a nuke on their house. The, the, <laughs> the purpose of it was just to destroy their worldview, to destroy their, their vain autonomy. Um, the, the, the goal, you know, my, my, my professor, my, my Van Tilian professor used to say, okay, well, that's, that's a little violent. Uh, but, but the goal might be to, you know, uh, to, to, to puncture a hole in their main line and, 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 you know, slowly flood out and deteriorate their house or something like that. I don't know if that's much better. Uh, but the, you know, the, 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 the purpose of it is, is, is to, um, is to destroy their, their attempts for vain autonomy. 
um, is, is to show that they, that they are, uh, whether they like it or not, you are, you are a creature in, in God's good creation and, and you are uh, at enmity with him. You are, you are um, seeking to live an autonomous life apart from your creator and that is not going to end well for you. Um, and, and you are, while, while you are thinking you are, you know, rational and reasonable, um, you are actually fleeing and running from, from the very foundation, um, that is even possible for, for reason and rationality, uh, let alone for, uh, morality, let alone for, uh, any meaning or value or purpose in this life, because, um, you are running from, uh, from the thing that grants meaning from the thing that purposed you here. Um, so there, there's a very different approach um, uh, in, in a reformed apologetic compared to, um, again, what you're going to get from kind of a classical or evidentialist. Okay. Well, Tyler's excellent thoughts. And I know we can talk, uh, you know, for hours about this stuff, but, but, um, running out of time, I'd like to wrap some, uh, things up for this episode. So is there anything that you'd like to leave our listeners, um, with or anything you'd like to plug uh, before when we wrap up? Um, I mean, no, you, you've, you've already mentioned the podcast, which is where, uh, you know, I have, I have a lot of this, this information um, and, and different episodes there and um, they can, they can go there if they want to and, um, and find that uh, my, my, my exhortation to, to, um, to anyone who's looking to um, get into apologetics um, is to not get into apologetics. Uh, and, and I don't, I don't mean that in a bad way. Um, a lot of people think that getting into apologetics is I need to go and I need to read a thousand books and I need to, you know, I need to be able to overcome all these objections and remember all these, these, you know, syllogisms and do all that kind of stuff. Um, and if, if that, you know, if, if you can do that, you know, God bless you. But if, (laughs) But don't think that that's your obligation. You know, you, you, people hear passages like First Peter 3, um, 3, 14 and think that, well, you know, we, we're, we're, our obligation is to, is to make a defense. And so therefore I have to do apologetics. Well, actually, that's a very evangelistic verse. The, the defense uh, of that is for the hope that's in us. It's, it, the, the defense of that is, is Jesus Christ and him crucified. It's the gospel itself. Uh, pre, you know, be, if, if you're worried about being an apologist, then, then don't be an evangelist. Um, because that's what we're actually biblically called to. Um, we're, 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 believe it or not, we're not, I, you know, I, I'm going to make a lot of apologists angry. We're not actually <laughs> biblically called to do apologetics. Um, I think it's helpful. I think it's useful. Don't, don't, don't get me wrong. Uh, but our, but our, our, you know, our mandate as, as the church is, is the great commission. Um, it is, it is to preach Christ and him crucified and, and to make disciples of all the nations. Um, if you, if you are, uh, if you are feeling called to, to go and reach the lost, make sure that you are an evangelist first, you know, no, no study, study the Bible, get some good commentary, study, study the scriptures. Um, and then as you engage with unbelievers, don't be afraid to say, I don't know, you know, let me, let me, let me go, let me go think about that and get back to you. Or, you know, I, maybe an answer in the right direction is, is, you know, is, is such and such. I, you know, I think that might be, but I'm not quite married to it. Let me think about it. I haven't actually thought about that before. Don't be afraid to just humbly admit that you don't know or you need to go research and you'll get back to them on something. Um, it's going to be far more effective and far more beneficial and you're going to learn a lot more that way um, than, than trying to um, be a know-it-all <laughs> um, and, and, and learn everything you know, in one go. It's just not going to happen that way. Amen, Tyler. So yes, and in First Peter three fifteen, the word apologetic is right there. Uh, apolog, yeah. I'm trying to remember how it's conjugated, but yeah. So the verse there, First Peter three fifteen, is an apologetics verse, but it's about really about as you said, evangelism and sharing your faith, and really the best apologetic is to demonstrate the truth of the gospel by. Um, you know, sharing the gospel and letting the gospel shine in your hearts, as Jesus said. Um, let um, no, my mind went blank. You know. Yeah, <laughs> you know, I'm talking about Jesus said the um, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify the Father which is in heaven. So, really, the the gospel itself is, you know the greatest apologetic because it, it carries 
all the meaning of the universe in it and all yep. the reason for creation and redemption itself. And so a lot, a lot of people have been converted from atheism to Christianity by the simple gospel without hearing, you know, the greatest evidence uh, for the existence of God from some kind of scientific concept. But right. uh, Tyler, I'd like to thank you for being a guest on Truth Espresso, and I will include uh, links to your website, your podcast in the show notes for this episode. And so Tyler, thank you for being on here and God bless. God bless you. Thank you so much. Thank you for waking up with Truth Espresso. Good morning, and God bless your day. Hey friends, Daniel Minnick here again. If you liked waking up to this episode of Truth Espresso, I would really appreciate it if you would rate it on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or whatever application you use to listen to Truth Espresso. 